Dr. Jordan Harris here. Uh, I am so excited for today's interview. I have someone who I've been working with for how long have we been, have we been working together now? Oh man, um, I think since March. Wow, March or April. So March of- yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, crazy. Several months. It's been a long. It's yeah. like half a year, isn't it? Almost. Yeah. Six. Yeah. Six I think months so. of like weekly meeting. Weekly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of weeks. A lot of weeks. That's a lot of weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, Tyler White. He's giving a training on suicide assessment, and uh, we're sort of doing a bonus episode on talking about suicide assessment uh, and suicidality with adolescents in poverty. So, Tyler, introduce yourself. Tell us uh, where you're from, where you work, what you do, and then we'll dive into the to the interview. Yeah. So, um, like Jordan said, my name is Tyler White. Um, I'm a Licensed Associate Counselor, LAC. Um, originally, I'm from California, but um, I live in the Bentonville area now. Um, and I'm working in a private practice uh, for reverse counseling. I've been there for about a year. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And let's also, like, not uh, uh, downplay, right? I mean, you're LAC, but, like, you've put in your time. Like, it's only because you changed yeah. states, which is why you... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I uh, I started the process of getting my hours um, in, in the beginning of 2019. So I've, um, by the time I'm done with this, I'm going to basically have double the amount of hours um, that, I, that I need. But, you know, it's it's all good. It's all good. We moved past that and we're just uh, pressing on. So we should do an interview about that sometime in the future because, yeah. uh, I mean, not the same but I came up here and had to wait to get my supervisor license. And I was, that was, you have to wait, hold your license in Arkansas for three years. Mm-hmm. And I already yeah. had my license, you know, before I could even apply to be yeah. a, 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 a supervisor. So I think people need to know about how different states impact licensure. But yeah, 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 that'd be a good conversation to have. That'd be a good conversation to have, just so people are thinking about it. But we're talking about suicidality and adolescence and poverty. And the reason that, that your history is important is because you used to work. Uh, I mean, you know, now you were in Northwest Arkansas, mm-hmm. you're in a, a group practice, but before, like, this is not where you started. No, yeah. no. So I, uh, I started in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and I worked, um, the second agency that I worked there really, really left an impact on me. And, um, you know, and I think, um, especially, you know, for this conversation, I think it's really important. Um, I worked at an agency called Agape Child and Family Services, and uh, we did a lot. We, we did a lot in the communities, but, but we worked in, in three of the most impoverished communities in Memphis. Um, and uh, counseling was actually one of the smaller sections of, um, of, of the company. Um, they, they helped with, uh, helped with with you know with things like um educational needs for the kids um resources for the parents um you know working on you know helping um you know um, women who are in crisis maybe coming from a domestic violence situation um they did a lot of really good things um but that you know that's where i was able to to really um 
really learn about poverty, really walk alongside poverty and, and to see um, see the effects that, that poverty has um, that might go unnoticed for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I think that's so important because when I worked in poverty, I spent about a year and a half working with, uh, we're doing in, in-home therapy. And then I spent probably another year working at a homeless shelter. And the thing that was obvious to me was like the problem of poverty sort of had two like twin heads of this thing, right? Like one was the the emotional um, mental health side of things, right? And that's for various factors, right? It's mm-hmm. sometimes people are in poverty or homeless due to mental health issues, right? They can't keep a job or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. And then also like just the stress of poverty can also cause mental health issues or exacerbate m- mental health issues. But on the other side of that, there's also like a real resource problem, you know? Um, so for you to work at an agency that was involved, not just in the mental health side, but also like the the logistics side, right? The resource side is like really, really important. So let me ask you, was your... Was your work there like in home? Was it uh, outpatient? Like what kind of what kind of therapy was it? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I I started out in the homes. Um, you know, going around to different areas of Memphis, um, going into the homes as well as going into the schools uh, to see clients. Um, but then COVID hit, and so we had to adjust, just like everyone else did. Um, and so then we were only telehealth, um, 100% telehealth, um, which presented a new challenge um, that we, we weren't prepared for. We didn't really, uh, I don't know if anybody was really prepared for, but it was, um, it was kind of, it was crossing the digital divide is, is, mm. is, is kind of the, the, the term that, that they, they coined. Um, and so, you know, we'd look at, okay, well, a lot of people don't have access to telehealth they don't have access to the internet they might not have um they might not have devices that that could uh, are, are are compatible for uh telehealth and so you know this presented a problem you know how do we how do we reach you know continue to work with people during a time of great uncertainty during a time where you know mental health services were maybe more important than ever um how do we continue to to do this work and so um so we were able through through grants from from different various organizations, either throughout Memphis or throughout the state, um, we were able to get um, uh, uh, Wi-Fi hotspots as well as tablets for our clients, um, and so we were able to supply that to them, um, which was great, and this allowed us to continue our sessions, um, you know, but it also gave us gave us insight to um you know what was really important you know when when you have all of these factors going on um and you know poverty is just just one just one of the factors but when you have all these factors going on you know um going showing up to your counseling session might not rate super high on the list (laughs) um and so 
you know, you kind of have to to remove. That's your that's your polite way of saying people were like, yeah, I don't need pick right now. I need to do something else. Like they they were, you had to drop out. Yeah, or they would say they needed it, but I wouldn't see him for a month. So yeah. you know, I don't. But so, so I mean, I think this dove's tail. Dove's tail? That's not how you say that word. This is how this is. I think this dovetails. <laughs> it's something that I really like, which is your definition of poverty. Can you tell us what your definition of uh, poverty is then? Because yeah, I think it yeah. kind of hits at like the uh, one of the big issues here. Yeah. So um, I actually found this online, and it was a quote, and it was it, oh, man, it, it really really hit home here for me. So so I'm going to read it. Uh, poverty in the simplest sense of the word is a state where one lacks access to basic needs such as food, clothing, and shelter. It is also used to describe a person whose living conditions prevent them from being able to acquire education, seek medical help, secure a stable job, and participate in recreational activities due to lack of money. Poverty is not just about money, though. It is a bigger conversation about marginalization, exclusion, domestic, and international economic indicators. Yeah, I love that because, you know, if you think about it too hard, if you only think about poverty in terms of money, it doesn't make sense, Mm -hmm. right? Like most people in America today make more money than uh, they would have 100 years ago, right? Yeah. And so it's like, but we still have poor people today. We still have people living in Mm -hmm. poverty today. So wait, it's not about money. It's about people who are excluded from whatever the major systems are, mm-hmm. you know? So even though healthcare is better mm-hmm. today and more widely accessible, the people who are excluded from that, like oh. those are the people who are in poverty, right? It's about, yeah. um, I mean, yes, yeah, what you said, it's about getting people to those basic needs and the needs that also I would say, I, I can't quite put this into words. Maybe you, you can clarify this, but it's the needs that, it's the needs that help them help themselves. It's the needs that, make life worth living. I'm not quite putting it into work, yeah. but things like <clears throat> education are not necessarily like a need. Like you're not going to, you know, yeah. starve if you don't have education, but it's still something that people, I think out of a sense of human dignity, have a right to. I'm, I'm yeah. struggling for my words here. Well, they're like higher level needs. Mm-hmm. You know, and it kind of reminds me of... Uh, maslow's uh pyramid right um you know and so if if you're not if you're not able to you know secure that the very basic <clears throat> basic needs basic level at the bottom you know it, it just makes everything else so much more difficult Think, things that things that you know are rights things that people should have that you know maybe aren't you know uh, necessary for survival necessarily but um it just makes everything else more more difficult. Mm, I totally agree. Yeah, and I think that's probably a good way to talk about is of, of higher level needs as well, right? We need to we need to sort of be attending to people's needs on all levels of the pyramid. Yeah. Yep. You know, and it is I think a detriment when people when some people get to have you know, eight out of 10 needs met and other people get to mm-hmm. have like two. Like that's, that just seems yeah. like inherently unfair, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, so when it comes to suicide, 
right? And mm-hmm. suicidality with adolescents. What do we need to know? Like, what are the three big points if you have to boil it down that we need to know about suicidality yeah, so, and adolescents in poverty? Yeah. And I think kind of, you know, before we get to the, the three factors, maybe looking at like an overarching factor is would be toxic stress. And, you know, teenagers, you think, um, maybe think back to when you were a teenager or, you know, um, maybe teenagers that, that, that you've worked with, you know, they come faith, uh, they come in, in different, on, in all different situations, you know, just like anybody else. Right. Um, some of them are relatively carefree and then, you know, they're, they're, they're still kids. Right. Um, and, and then some have, they're, they're facing things that most adults never even face. And so, you know, they have this inherent, this added burden, this toxic stress. And so um, the first factor kind of in that is, is, you know, household stress, you know, and this could even be, I think this is also um, generational, right? You know, so this is, it. this stress, this is the stress that I think trickles down, you know, after being in poverty for generations, you know, and having, you know, to make difficult decisions, you know, that constant, that constant, you know, fight, that constant struggle of, of, of getting basic needs met, you know, am I going to be able to put food on the table? Am I going to, um, you know, be able to keep the lights on, you know, for, for generations. And so it, it trickles down to, to the teenager, um, you know, and we also see, you know, in a lot of communities um, where, where poverty is, is prevalent, um, we see a lot of community violence, you know, people, you know, you, you can even look back at, at just the violence and kind of where, where might that come from? You know, it, it's the same stress, you know, it's, it's trying to, trying to figure out ways to, to get things that, that you need to live. Um, social, social isola- isolation is another part of this. I think, um, you know, a lot of times these teenagers, their parents might work, you know, all day. They might never, never see their parents. Um, they're always at work, you know, working two or three jobs, trying to, you know, make ends meet for the family. Um, but that, that gives, that gives a teenager a lot of free time after school. You know, their teenager might realize, you know, hey, there, there's nobody at home for me when I get done with school, so I can I can kind of do anything, or I can maybe go home and isolate, and, and you see where you know some of these d- depressive feelings might might come from that. Mm-hmm. You um, know, I think that that's so. The la- that last point really hits me. I um to make a long story short, in a very simplistic way, I grew up the the neighborhood that I grew up in as a kid was a high I mean it was a it was poverty but my family um was like I don't know the most affluent and so it's like a weird thing of like anyway mm-hmm. um and then I worked in home and I saw a lot of situations that were similar to the ones that I grew up in um or similar to the to the to the neighborhood that I that I, that I grew up in uh but now you know I'm luckily doing a lot better than uh my peers at from where i grew up in and so i'm like in a different uh social economic bracket and so for me it's Mm -hmm. always bizarre so you're you're talking about that and i was talking to a lady at my church i don't know a few weeks ago and she was talking about how she paid for a babysitter all summer for her kids and her kids are like i don't know in their teens right Mm. and i was just like what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. 
Did you, yeah. did you just leave them home alone for like hours? Like, what do you? And it was just a moment of like, you know, something that was totally outside of my. And I think for for us growing up, uh, we weren't left home a lot. But it was like, you know, you got to go to grandma's house. Mm-hmm. We got to take you to grandma's house or to your aunt's house or whatever, um, if they needed something. And so that's I think that's a that's an aspect that uh, you're talking about that is that I'm seeing like frontline today. Yeah. Uh, some people have yeah. the resources to pay a, have a babysitter to take care of their, their, mm-hmm. their teenage kids, and some people mm-hmm. their kids are isolated, so they mm-hmm. can run on the streets all day or be at grandma's house all day if they have yeah. the resources, and if not, like. You know, once you hit nine, ten, eleven, like you're just like left <laughs> to like figure stuff out on, on your own. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Um. So, so the second factor, um, I, I think is lack of infrastructure. You know, and this kind of goes into like the the community as a whole. Um, most of the time, you know, when you're when you're driving through or you're walking in a community um, that is uh, that, that deals with, with poverty. Um, a lot of times you don't see really nice parks. You don't see, you know, really nice community centers. You don't see libraries. You don't see, um, you know, uh, you know, those little splash pad things, you know, that, that, that kids, kids love to run. You don't, you don't really see that that stuff, you know, and so you kind of ask yourself, you know, I wonder why, you know, and and it kind of goes to show you that, uh, you know, city city planners, city leaders, community leaders, a lot of times look at those communities, look at those little pockets, and they're indirectly telling people, well, your your area, your community is not worth investing in, and so you know, how do you think that makes people feel? You know, they might they're not might not be told that directly and it might be you know something that that they might not even understand that they're feeling this way but you know it, it sends a message uh definitely and so um you know then you look at okay what are these communities what's their function right or what are these infrastructures you know what is their function um you know what is libraries function right you know and so so kids that that live in areas that have access to 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 knowledge you know such as a, a library you know, and, um, you know, they have activities at, at libraries, for example, um, you know, they're going to have a head start, at least educationally, on kids that don't have access to that. Um, you know, and even going further, a lot of times these communities, you know, lack stable jobs. Um, you know, you look, there might, there might be um, a lot of fast food restaurants or, you know, there might be um, a lot of uh type of jobs that are more jobs but they're not really careers they're not somebody they're not something that 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 somebody's committed to that they want to stay at you know so these um the adolescents you know they see their parents kind of going from job to job a lot of times um you know and also not a ton of healthcare options usually um you know and or mental health care as well um you don't typically find those those resources in in their community. You know they would have to go outside of their community um, to find uh, to find those resources. You know, and so 
if you think about some of the other things, you know, not having the basic needs, it might be, it, it makes it that much harder to go outside of your community. Um, you know, if you might not have gas money or, you know, if you're having to choose between, well, you know, I can fill up my car to go 15 miles to go to a medical clinic, or I could, you know, pay utilities with that, you know? Um, so you kind of see, see the, see the choices that, that people are having to face. I totally agree with you. When I lived, when I, so I lived in Louisiana, it was a poor part of Louisiana. I remember coming up here to North, to Northwest Arkansas. And I was just like, this place is amazing. They have sidewalks. Like, like, yeah. you know, like, yeah. I remember going into like Harps and they had like a deli in Harps. And I was like, you can just order food at the grocery store. Like, this is incredible. <laughs> but it's all yeah. the little things, right? Of like, um, yeah. like parks. I think that was a perfect example. Here, there's a park on every other freaking corner. And they're mm -hmm. all beautiful. And half of them yeah. aren't even being used. Yeah, and exactly. How many parks did I see in you know the poor place that I was in in Louisiana? I mean, I can't remember one, and I'm sure if I did see a one, saw one, it was run down. You know, like yeah. it wasn't um, as prevalent or as well funded, right? And what you're saying is people mm -hmm. people need tax dollars invested into their com communities, mm -hmm. and part of the problem of poverty is that the ones who need it the most are the ones least likely to get it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's exactly right. Okay. So we have our first two factors, right? Household yeah. stress, lack of infrastructure. What else? Uh -huh. What's our, our third factor? So I think this is kind of where, where things kind of, these things tie in, right? So combining, combining these, you know, as well as toxic stress, um, this is where we get to, you know, we get to suicide in this population. So the third factor is increased sense of hopelessness. So, um, you know, over time, these things build and they build and they build and they build. And, you know, these teenagers don't, they, they, they don't see other people getting out. They don't see, um, you know, they don't see the, the ladder or the doorway into into something different into something better they're only seeing the dark room in which they're in um you know they're not seeing um you know well people like you jordan who you know who were able to, to get out of that that situation um you know and and to, to to do something different and so there's this there's a sense of hopelessness that it's like well you know um i'm either going to you know, be, be like my parents. I'm going to, um, you know, one of the things that I heard a lot, um, uh, at this job, um, especially, especially when I was talking to the young men that I worked with, one of the phrases that, that they kept telling me was that, you know, I've been told all my life, I'm either going to end up dead or in jail. Those were, those are my, those are the options for me. And, and so, you know, when you look, look at life through that, through those lenses, when that's your worldview, then, you know, it's going to lead you to take risks. It's going to lead you to not, not value life. Um, and so, 
you know, there's definitely that that uh, increased sense of hopelessness, which is is you know we see that leading to um, to suicide in this population. Yeah, I've definitely um, seen that. I think when I've seen it the worst, I would say it sort of comes out sideways. And there's, there's, well, I'll, I'll just say, I'll tell the story and then, and then I'll explain it. Um, it's like a common thing mm-hmm. for a lot of people who grew up in, in poverty. When, if they do manage to like go off, off to college, they go to college and then they feel like, man, this place is not for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think mm-hmm. it's a double sided monster. Right. I think that we have issues of, Kind of like you're saying, right? Like we have issues of systemic marginalization. And so you go off and you feel marginalized on that university campus or whatever. Um, And so then you drop out and that's real. And the other side of that is, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're told all your life that you don't belong, you've also internalized that message. And so then you go off and you go to a, you know, plus it's fundamentally a different culture. Mm -hmm. And you have that internal narrative, and you drop out. I think it happens both yep. ways. Um, and I think that's all connected back to that hopelessness, right? Of like, man, mm-hmm. even if I were to get out, I can't make it in this new world. This world is not for me. Yeah. Yeah. So you come, you know, tumbling back down, which is yep. it's hard and it's not fair. No. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, this is really big. So if you could give us like one clinical tip, right? Not a silver bullet, because we know that that's not going to solve mm-hmm. all this. But if you could give us one tip, one thing to do, one one thing to uh, orient us mm-hmm. when working with these populations and yeah. suicide comes up, what, what would you say? Biggest thing I can think of um, is to be flexible. Um, and that is, I think, really flexible in your thinking, um, having to be, be maybe a little more creative than, than what, what, what we're used to. Um, you know, and definitely, you know, I think with every population, but, but I think definitely with this population, you know, realize that, you know, um, you're, you're having to do a lot of learning um, especially if you didn't yourself come from that background. And, you know, we learned in, in school about, you know, uh, different cultures, different, different, um, populations, different, you know, things like that. But, um, it, it really doesn't, you know, until you're walking alongside, you know, people and, and learning their stories and, um, learning about them in their unique situation, um, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily fully align with maybe what, what you learned, you know, on the academic side of things. So be flexible, um, you know, be, uh, be very present with, with these individuals and you might spend your whole session talking about, you know, resources, talking about how to access, you know, food banks, how to, what are the resources in your community that, that could, that could help them. Um, it might not, every session might not be the most, you know, clinically driven counseling, you know, I'm using quotation marks, counseling sessions. Um, and so, but that's okay. You know, they need, like, you're, you're still helping them with, with meat needs that they have. Yeah. 
Okay. So uh, be flexible. Mm -hmm. Stay learning. And it's okay to focus on resources. Right. Yeah. I love it. Well, uh, Tyler, tell us about your training coming up. I mean, we're going to be doing a deep dive on specifically suicide assessment. Um, Yeah. yeah, Tell us about your your, uh, training. Yeah, so uh, definitely looking forward to this uh, suicide assessment training uh, for for adolescents. Um, And that is going to be taking place on September 23rd, 2022 uh, at 9.30 a.m. via Zoom. 8.30 a.m. Oh, 830, 830, right? Uh, yes. Yep. 830 a.m. Uh, via Zoom. Uh, and you can sign up on jordanthecounselor.com. Again, jordanthecounselor.com. Yeah. Well, Tyler, thanks for coming on. I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. And yeah, man, if I can ever be of service to you in the future, please let me know. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. Thank mm-hmm. you.